This is 20 Year Reunion. And I'm David Rausch. Yes, and I'm Paul Cifuentes. So, George, we're doing George George this week, huh? We are. Actually, hold on. So in this episode, there's a moment that you share with George where you're able to finally get something off your chest. And I can tell by looking at you, you've you've got something you wanted to apologize to me about. So I'm gonna ju- I'm gonna just step back here. And... Oh, that's a that's a wrong <laughs> assumption. Okay, well let me try wow. it from another direction. Wow, interesting. Maybe there, maybe there's something that we need to clear the air about here. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't think that I was completely in the wrong in this situation. I think perhaps both of us didn't handle it the most maturely. I'll give you that. Okay, great. So. We haven't talked about this in over 20 years, so I'm curious to hear your memory of it, and then and then I'll give you my memory. We were coming back from somewhere, so we're driving me... You're driving me home, right? Yes. Okay. And was it that you wouldn't drop me off right in front of my house? My memory is I wouldn't pull into your driveway. You wouldn't pull into my driveway. There it was. Exactly. I stopped in front of your house, and you wanted me to pull into the driveway, which I'll admit, 20 years later, sounds like a very reasonable request. <laughs> I feel like you must have been annoying me or something if I was starting to get petty and didn't want to pull in the driveway. But I don't know. Maybe not. But either way. So you were like, hey, pull into my driveway. And I was like, no, you're here in front of your house. You can get out here. So then what happened? I refused to get out of the car. Yep. I mean, I wouldn't budge. And so you, you started to pull away. You started to like, all right, fine. I'm leaving. And I was, I had no idea what to do at that point. <laughs> it seemed as though you had won. So how do, how do I save myself? <laughs> so I started chucking things out of the car that were in the back seat. And for some reason, there's a can of tuna in the back seat. So over there in Lombard, Illinois, I just started chucking tuna outside of the back seat of the Omni, which, as I recall, did not make you happy. No. <laughs> so the thing that was interesting is I look back at it 20 years later, like if, if I were you, I mean, you just keep driving, man. Hmm. Yeah. But, but then the, obviously the other part of this is that you still have me who is, <laughs> I'm, I'm still in the car and you don't want me in the car. So at some point it has to get resolved in a different way than me just driving home. Yeah. So, do you remember how it got resolved? Nope. No, neither do I. <laughs> I've got to believe in my mind that you pulled in. You pulled into like the front of the driveway. Like you didn't go all the way in, but you okay. pulled into like before the sidewalk. I could see that happening where you're like. Like a compromise. Not, I just, I just yeah. pull onto the apron. Yeah. I'm still pulling in so that because I feel as though, especially then, but neither one of us would lose. I could definitely see that being the solution to say there, I didn't pull in the driveway and, and you could say to yourself there, yeah, you I got did. him to pull in the driveway. <laughs> and I would say, nope, the city owns that. That's not part of the driveway. <laughs> and you'd say the wheels crossed over out of the street. I win. I'm glad we, we cleared this up. I'll apologize for my part in that. But- oh uh, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I am sorry for throwing the tune out. <laughs> and I've, I've since learned that I can walk from the, front of my house and don't have to be in the driveway anything else before we run this episode no no i think we should run it all right let's do it
George, how's it going? 2021 me you want to know about? Or do you want to go all the way back to 2001 me? <laughs> Getting right to business. I like it. Well, let's go back to 2001. Introduce yourself and describe who you were in high school. Okay. My name's George Cassidy. In high school, I was kind of a... I wouldn't say quiet. I, I was kind of quiet, but I, you know, I was into music. I was weird. I was distracted. I was always thinking about after school. You know, my head wasn't really in school. I was always trying to find out about like the party or the band or, you know, whatever's going on at the other high school, that type of stuff. So yeah, in a lot of ways in high school, I was just kind of somewhere else. I like that description. Yeah. A lot of stuff to unpack there. I love it. So you, you said party, band, did you any, do any activities inside of school? Yeah. In high school, my mind was kind of elsewhere, but I did enjoy guitar class was always a lot of fun. And gym was always a great time. I always think about playing roller hockey in the basement, but we were using like roller skates for gym. I don't remember that at all. Did, did they just have a bunch of skates? I don't think we were allowed to. I think it was like, hey, go run around the track. And we were like, can we play hockey? And they were like, sure. And they were like, can we use those roller skates? And they're like, I guess. <laughs> so it kind of turned into it. But yeah, I think maybe it was just our class. I remember that track though. That track was horrible. Yeah, it was. It was the 20, 20 like a 12th run. of a mile or something. I can't remember. It was not I remember Dave <laughs> ran around. That. It was, you had to run so many times to get a mile in. Who were some of the people that you hung out with? Well, Joe Fontana was my good friend from freshman year. And the first time I met him, I was like, I was like, hey, do you have any Lipton iced tea at your house? I'm like, I'd, I'd love one right now. And he's like, actually, you know what? I think we do. And, and then I just walked home with him. And after that, we were like best friends. Wow. Yeah. Look at that foundation of a relationship. But yeah, it was cool. And then we were kind of always music friends throughout school. So yeah, I hung out a lot with him, Andy Regal, Andrew Grosscup, you know, that, that group. Yeah, a lot of good, good times. But yeah, you know, in school, I would say I was, you know, I wasn't the best student. I was always kind of trying to make the person next to me laugh, you know, that type of stuff. I, I, I you know, I think that's kind of important too, because, you know, I made a lot, I made a lot of the classes more fun. So I think at least Tony Cicero sat in front of me. I think he got a good kick out of it. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> yeah, I was reading my yearbook a couple of weeks ago and every comment was like, you are a weird kid. Like <laughs> some of the stuff you say, like, doesn't make any sense. And my wife's like, yeah, that's about right. Were you ever in risk of not graduating? Yeah, actually, my senior year was kind of where I got, well, junior and senior year, I got really serious because I wasn't very serious the first few years. Mm. Yeah, I remember I was thinking about like my favorite teachers and all that stuff. And I always tend to say Mr. Blair because he was a young teacher my sophomore year, I think. It was his first year. And I remember trying to goof off in his class and like it was his first year. So it was like extra, you know, hard for him. So I remember kind of taking it a little bit easier on Mr. Blair. And he was always really cool. And he would always like invite me to be a part of the class and stuff. So that maybe shifted a little bit of my mentality toward school, you know, trying to get a little more involved in the conversation rather than just trying to go head to head all the time. I like that you said you went easy on him because he was a newbie. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I would typically give you shenanigan level eight, but since you're new, yeah. I'm going to dial it down to four. I think back to that and I'm like, yeah, I, sh I don't know what I was trying to do back in high school. I wish I would have just tried to learn. <laughs> but yeah, that came, that came later. What's something you were proud of from high school? 
we would always really stand up to the deans. <laughs> I know this isn't your typical take on high school, but we'd go down to the dean's office and sometimes it would be like for something that wasn't legitimate, but we'd be down there. We'd always be able to somehow, like me and my group of friends, we'd always somehow be able to argue our way out of it. And that always gave me a strange sense of pride. There was one time in particular, we would every morning go out to get coffee at Cappy's uh-huh. and we'd come to school and we'd even bring coffee to school. And I remember one time the deans would come up and they'd be like, hey guys, no, no drinking, no food or drinks in the hallway. And we were like, oh, okay. And the first day we threw it away, but then we checked the, the assignment notebook uh-huh. yeah. and it said no food in the hallway. So we brought our coffees the next day and they were like, all right, guys, let's go down to the Dean. And then we were like, show us the rule. Just show us the rule. (laughs) Then they let us go and we were able to drink our coffees. So little stuff like that I was always proud of. I mean, that's like intro to law right there. I actually wanted to be a lawyer right after high school because I was such a a goof and I was like, this will show them. (laughs) Oh, there you go. Nice. Yeah. And like for a couple of years at COD, I was like, I'm just going to get my general education associate's degree and then go to law school. And I probably realistically wouldn't have done that, but I was acting like I was going to. My older brother, Greg, actually was disappointed to hear that. He was like, why would you be, want to be a lawyer when you'd work all the time? You wouldn't even have time to do music. And I was like, you know what? You're right. You know, So I kind of like totally shifted my thoughts based on that and kind of had like an excuse to kind of stick with music. And so you said... In high school, you took a guitar class, but you did more than that. And I mean, you were... Yeah. So all throughout high school, I was in a string of bands. I was in the 80s with Joe Fontana. And then I was in the Brock The 80s? Is that what you said? Yeah, we were called the 80s. Okay. Where did that name come from? You remember? I don't know. I think that a long time ago, a band was going to be called the 50s. And we were like, oh, it'd be cool if we called ourselves the 80s. (laughs) 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 It would be a great name now. I think that I think like high school band names are some of the best, like just ways of creating oh. things. Yeah. Thinking back, I, I think I had a band since like fourth grade. So <laughs> there was a lot of bands, but half of them weren't real. <laughs> future, yeah. Future band names. All right. So the 80s, the Brockmeyers. 80s, the Brockmeyers, and then Cracker Jack, which was my probably my biggest band in high school. And then. Right at the end of high school, like I kind of quit punk in a weird way in like senior year. So those were all punk bands previous? Yeah, real, real punk. I was real in Eminem senior year. Uh, that's not why, but we started a hip hop like acoustic group called Group Theory with our acoustic guitars from guitar class, which was kind of cool. And then, yeah, after that, I think it was like a three-year break between being in a band after high school and then... I started a band called Michael Lane with with Joe Fontana and a good friend of mine, Nate Brigard, who I still play with today. We work on music together for The Fold. So yeah, those those are the main bands, The Fold being the one that I'm still in. Nice. What do you regret from high school? I kind of do regret being a little bit adversarial with the deans. I think I, I think I should have focused just more on just being invisible to the deans. I just want to be clear. It's both what you're most proud of and what you regret. <laughs> exactly. It's a real dichotomy. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, I mean, that's high school, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I'm trying to be honest. Yeah. I feel like it's just one of those things when you're a little brat, like I was, you kind of just like, you just think it's funny to mess with people and you don't really think about that they're just trying to do their job. 
So yeah, I do regret that. But with that said, when they were being ridiculous, I feel like someone needed to stand up to them. So <laughs> yeah, it it is interesting seeing you know as as an adult and having kids and and you just start to see and appreciate people's perspective more, right? Definitely. And, and mm-hmm. the fact that like wherever you're seeing them, that's just one sliver of their life, right? I know. And, I know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I was naive, yeah. so I have an excuse. But yeah, you never know what people are going through behind the scenes. Well, that's it. like, so like, here's, here's the thing. Like, George, you were in, I think you were, we were in the same freshman English social studies, like Mrs. Little Hale and then the history teacher. She was pregnant. She had a baby halfway through and we switched. And you and I, I remember that Andrew was in that class, Andrew Gross Cup, and I was in that class. And sometimes the two of you and I would get into it. And like, so I didn't like you, man. I, oh, oh. I, no, I'm just like, I'm just telling you like where I, like where I was. That's in okay. I actually wondered where, where the three of us stood only because I don't really remember a ton other than that. I was kind of like a jerk, <laughs> but like, well, yeah, not no, on no, purpose. but let me get, like, let me get through this. So like, we did, I didn't, I didn't like you at the time. <laughs> But like late as like I look back and like a lot not even before this, but like I also realized like how I was now like looking back like I was a f- kid full of energy who had a mouth on him who would just let it fly sometimes and most people wouldn't say things back and you would then we would get into it and so like it's just like you said that that perspective right of like not thinking anyone else's perspective like. I didn't think of your perspective, George, like ever, because mm-hmm. you were outside of my life and like, <laughs> you should be understanding me. So just for the record, George, we're, I'm not, I don't not like you. That's that, okay. That no, I, I, accept high school that, Paul. I accept that most people don't. Oh, no, stop. And that's it, okay. No, it's Was okay. there an apology in there, Paul? Or I didn't actually yeah, I'm, know. I, 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 if anything, I'm the one who needs to apologize. <laughs> no, I will. Sure. I, no, no. Thank you, Dave. You look at you. You're like Dr. Phil, Dave. You're bringing us together. <laughs> no, I would apologize. There's a lot of people I would apologize to in high school. Like the way I w- way I acted, you know, I don't think it was out of, you know, ill intent, but like I also just high strung, or maybe you're dealing with something I didn't know about. Yeah, or I would just I would just not want to like lose any sort of argument ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could tell you're very by the book, you know. I was, I was, yeah. yeah. So I could see why I could see where the friction. I was, was very by from. my book, right? Like I would <laughs> give teachers crap all the time if I figured that they were you know going outside of what the rules were. But anyways, that, there is an apology in that. And I, I apologize oh. for giving you a hard time, George. Thanks. Well, I'm sorry school. as well. Did you go to prom? I did. It was pretty fun. Drury Lane, I believe. Abington was our year, but 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 maybe, oh, okay. maybe junior right. year was That's one of right. those others. I just remember senior year, we went to where Dave Roush used to valet. I used I to valet there too. Oh, really? Yeah, I valeted all through my 20s just trying to keep the music dream alive. Now we're exiting high school. You said you went to COD and we're trying to do music and working valet. Is that? Yes. That's the epitome. All right. So, so walk us through some, some of the things there. You decided not to be a lawyer. Decided not, decided against the law degree. Yeah. Where are you living then? I lived with my parents till I was 23. And around when I was 21, we started kind of playing out more in the city and stuff and kind of feeling like we had a shot, even though we were pushing basically like fast 90s punk, like no effects and stuff that wasn't very popular at the time. But we were like, just wait. (laughs) (laughs) So we did that for like four years and we toured and we did like, you know, we had a great time. And then it turned into about 2006 or seven, we were living in 
the Michael Lane house is what it came to be known as, but it was our friend Jess's house. We were kind of just partying. It was like a frat house with no college. And we just, you know, drink and party and play shows and whatever. For like three or four years from like 2004 to 2007 or eight or whatever. And eventually that just kind of faded out. And then that's when I joined the fold. So that's kind of a rough, a real, real rough explanation of 2001 to 2010. Okay. So you were, you were going to school initially, living with your parents. Got my associate's degree. Yeah. And then in 2006, I lost my mom. And that's kind of, I think that's Mm -hmm. a big part of where both my mentality shifted and my kind of goal shifted. Because after that, it was like, all right, well, now I've lost some people and I'm still going for this dream. So there was kind of like no holds barred kind of a mentality after that. So about three years after that started is when Michael Lane kind of ended and when I started the fold, not started, but when I joined the fold with my brother, Dan. But the fold really started when you joined is what you're saying. Like no. the fold was nothing until you no, no. came a part of it. No, they were they were very well established. <laughs> they had two albums at that point, but yeah. So when I joined, it was kind of just like a giant relief for me because I'd been trying so hard to work on my own band and trying so hard to like promote it and like do all that stuff. So when I joined the fold, it was just like, okay, I'm with my brother. You know, there's no we're both going to be here for a long time. So it just felt right. Yeah, so I joined the fold and Dan right away is like, there's this girl asking us to write like audio greeting cards. They're like 10, they only have to be 10 seconds long and they pay like 400 bucks each. And he said it almost like it was a nuisance to him. And I was like, (laughs) in my valet mentality at the time, I was like, wow, that's a lot of money. So like we got together one weekend and we wrote like 10 of them and like eight of them got accepted. So it was huge money for me. I was like, this is it. You know, we're greeting cards. All the way. Is this on the online audio greeting card or? This would be like where you open up the card and it's like, yeah, and then it oh. speaks. Yeah. Yeah. So you were writing songs for that? We, we were just, it was like basically, here's what I was thinking was, when you open up the card, what happens? And like, that was like all we would ask ourselves. <laughs> and then like, we wrote one where it was like happy graduation. Like, cause we'd go through whatever the holiday, it could have been anything. So we wrote like one that was called happy graduation. So it was like, Happy graduation. Your father and I are so proud. And then he'd and then he'd be like, ready, dear? One, two. And then we'd do like death metal and we'd be like, just go to work, go get a job. Blah, 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 stop living like a slob. And then we'd be like, ah! and then it would end. And that was it. And but like we thought that's hilarious. So we did like a bunch of those style that's cards. Awesome. Yeah. And then like they were just head over heels for it. The guy who owned the company was like, this is great. And then he had to start writing like sports music. So we wrote a song for NASCAR called Grab the Wheel. And this is where I was like, oh, wow, this is like actually a real thing. And then literally the next year in like 2011, that company got an exclusive contract with the NFL to write two songs for every team. And they would be used for like lives in in stadium kind of stuff. So we wrote two songs for every team for like a year and a half. And that didn't, nothing really big came of that. A couple of the songs kind of stuck around, but it was more than anything. It was just like a cool thing to do. It was the first like real, real thing I'd ever done. And then also during that time, the Lego Ninjago 
opportunity kind of came into play. And that's something that still goes on today. We've done like 30 songs for the show. And wait, then, wait, wait, wait. Time out. So you write <laughs> music for Ninjago? Yes. Do you know the my show? Kids, my kids are going to <laughs> flip out when I come uh, home. When they realize you're mad at me? Yeah. And I would tell them I apologize. <laughs> and we, we, built, we built a bridge. Yeah. So we, the thing began with this guy emails my brother and asks him to sing The Weekend Whip, which is the theme for the show. And it was kind of like, we didn't know exactly what he wanted, but we knew it just had to basically sound kind of like his demo, but whatever. So it was really easy. He just sang over it in the studio in like a couple hours. And then they were like, the show's getting picked up. We want to re-record it and whatever. So we did a really high quality recording of it. And that became the official theme. And then, yeah. And then every season since then, they'd have us write like two or three songs alongside the theme. Some kids were like, you know, 11 or 12 when the show started and now they're like 23, 24 and they still like it. And there's kids who are like six who like it. So it's just crazy. It's going strong. It's big in our house. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm happy to hear that. So how does that work? Do they give you like a theme? Cause are you doing both the music and, and lyrics for it? It's like a dream situation for a songwriter. Cause they basically give you the script and then they're like, we need a song about, you know, they didn't even say that. They'll just give you the script for the whole season, all the episodes. So I would just like me or, or Dan would read through and like any song titles that kind of sparked up or whatever. We'd be like, oh, we should have a song called like Born to be a Ninja. <laughs> and then they would just get made and then they get, you know, the kids would all learn them. And now it's like if we're working on a song, we know there's an audience for it. So it makes it so much more exciting to work on it. Cause it's like in high school, I'd be in a band and I'd be like, oh, I hope everyone hears oh, this. People come. Nobody yeah. would hear it. <laughs> so now it's like, we don't play shows so much, but these kids hear it at least. And we know they do. So. Wow. Yeah. So that's been the biggest blessing ever. I'd say losing my mom back then was the biggest catalyst for my life kind of finding its path. Before then, as, as you could hear, I was very all over the place. Yeah. Did your mom, was she a, a strong supporter of kind of following the the music and what you guys were doing? Yeah, actually I was, we were working on the Michael Lane album when she passed away. And I remember her just, she, you know, trying to tell me that that was the most important thing right now was to like finish the album and stuff. And I remember thinking like, no, it's not, but it helped me big time to get through that period. And the guy who was recording the album had lost his mom. And he, he told me, he was like, there's two kinds of people in this world, people who've lost their mom and people who haven't. And you just have to learn that like, that's something that, once it happens, you'll always be a part of that community because it's just, you know. Wow. I'm fortunate that I, I haven't yet. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. But someday it will, right? Yeah. It will happen to everyone. Yeah. Is there any kind of looking back now, any advice for, for sort of navigating or getting through? Because it's, it's going to be devastating no matter when it happens. And, and you went through it, you know, earlier than, you know, thankfully I've had to and, and others. So. How do you how do you think about or what kind of advice do you give to people now if it if it happens to to them when they lose a parent or a loved one? Yeah, I just say, you know, keep them with you all the time. And like when you ever have a moment of weakness, if you don't want to pray to God, you could, you know, pray and ask God to pass along the message to the person you love. But yeah, I, I feel that when I lose people and I've lost a lot of people, it just makes you think of them all the more often, you know, and it's it's a shame that that has to be the way it is. But yeah. Yeah, when they're gone, you really appreciate who they were and you don't find any fault with anything they ever did, you know, so. 
in a lot of ways, I'm lucky. You know, I didn't have to see my mom grow old. But in a lot of ways, you know, when you need, when you want somebody to talk to and that person's not there, it's very hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And so, did you feel coming out of that, you described kind of as that sort of a renewed passion around what you were doing? How did you take her passing to and then translate that into kind of going at life with more focus? Well, I remember I was playing guitar with a good buddy of mine. We were practicing and there wasn't really much going on and it just felt like kind of a waste of time. And I was sitting there and I was just like, I remember we were jamming and like we just started jamming. I remember standing up and being like, dude, I'm like, if you're not serious about doing this, then I'm out. I'm just going to go because I don't have time to be like sitting here with you, like talking about whatever you're talking about. If you don't want to jam, I'm going to go. You know, that was kind of my mentality. And then I was always kind of that way toward music from that point on. And then when I found the band with my brother, when I joined The Fold, it was just like I could finally relax. And I didn't have to carry that whole load. I could share it with somebody else. Yeah. And like, there's no other explanation for it than I was set on that path when I lost my mom to kind of join forces with my brother. And ever since I have, it's just been the right thing. I didn't even mention, but in 2012, I wrote a song for the Cubs that got picked as their WGN radio song. Really? Yeah. And that was right after a good friend of mine, and I did not want this to go through without mentioning him. Andy Regal, who I don't know if you guys remember from high school. Oh, yeah. yeah. He passed right during that contest. It was like right in the middle of it. Like, I don't even think I got to share the song with him. But it was like within days before they announced the winner, like he passed away. So I kind of always thought of that whole opportunity as like kind of with him because he was like a giant Cubs fan. So like from the time that happened to when we won or whatever, I always kind of carried that with Andy. So I just wanted to at least get that in there. Yeah, thanks for that. Paul and I both did. We played tennis with Andy. Oh, really? Oh, I remember yeah, tennis. Great yeah. time. Yeah, we we used to fool around all the time out there. Did you get along with him? Oh, yeah. Well, I did. I don't know about Paul. Oh, come on, guys. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, no, I don't know a any, little I don't bit know, on this podcast. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, I'm glad you did, Paul, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, I don't think anybody could really not like Andy because he no. was such a good guy. No. Absolutely. Man, you covered a lot. Yeah. And you know what? Like even throughout that period, so there's the NFL thing, there's the Banshee thing, there's the Cubs thing, and there's the Ninjago thing. And I was still really struggling to keep my head above water for that seven year, seven or eight year period. But I I tried to like make my living from music. When you say head above water, do you mean financially? Financially, yeah. Because I mean, those were great, but they paid money on a contract basis, basically. And then it was like, what's the next opportunity? What's the long... Because you're not getting like necessarily yeah. like... Where's my retirement going to come in? Yeah, <laughs> that yeah, kind yeah. Of stuff. So I did that for seven years or so. And anytime there's a freelance thing or an opportunity, I would do it. But yeah, pretty much like in 2019, I got my job that I have now, which is like my career, where I work as an audio engineer and a podcast producer for this great company called Morningstar. So that's kind of like, even though that wasn't my dream when I started out, that's been a major part of facilitating like my ongoing dreams. It's a great company and they like totally value me. So I'm lucky I found that job. That's great. So it allows you to use a lot of the expertise that you've built up. All those hours in the basement. Yeah. 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 When did you meet your wife? Oh, so yeah, I met Caitlin 2007. So it was about a year after I lost my mom. She was aware of my goals at the time. So she was kind of on board for everything. So 
yeah, it took a long time to kind of reach him. But now that now that I did, now we got married and yeah, we're all set now. How did you meet in 2007? We dated for 13 years, but we met at a wig party at the Michael Lane house. So a wig party. Yeah. So we all lived in this band house and we would throw parties all the time. And one of the bigger parties we threw was a wig party. So I had long hair, brown wig on. And like, I think I just got done valeting. And uh, <laughs> I had like a hat on over the wig. And I came home at like 11 or whenever I got done. Like I Flush with the- singles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Valet <laughs> like, <laughs> life. Yeah. So I go into the party and I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun, whatever. So I go in the basement. I see Caitlin and she's wearing this purple wig. And I was like, ooh, who's the girl in the purple wig? You know? And then like throughout the party, I'm like seeing her around and I'm like, this is crazy. This girl has purple hair. Otherwise, she looks totally normal. Like I thought it was her real hair. It's like at a wig party. I don't know why. (laughs) And then and then in the morning, we go out to Cappy's full circle. She's like sits down at the table and she still has the wig on and she like takes it off. She's got this like long blonde, like curly hair. And I was shocked. I was like, I was like, whoa. I was like, what? And I'm like. It took me a minute, but then I was like, oh, okay, so this is who she is. And then uh, like three months later, so we started dating and we've been together ever since. Wow. Any other key stories or anything you want to tell from over the last 20 years? Yeah, I guess like in relation to that Cubs thing I mentioned, there was one other cool moment when they won the World Series. I wrote another song for them called Going All the Way, which I did under like a alter ego named George Black. And that was another radio song for WBBM when they switched radio stations. But in 2016, when they won the World Series, WGN-TV asked us to write a song called Let the Games Begin. And then they played that commercial throughout the World Series run. It was ridiculous. And it was like our music in the background. So to me, oh wow, that was probably like the proudest moment I've ever had. And I don't think anybody even noticed, <laughs> but it was really <laughs> exciting to, to be a part of that. Talk to me about this George Black character. Yeah, I was going to say, we got to follow up on this. I released one album under George Black. It was called The Love Album. And it was like 12 songs I wrote kind of about my mom and kind of like about my my life journey and just ways that I kind of found to get through it. So why, why under a different name? I wanted to try to do a type of music I'd never done. You know, not punk or not anything, but like more of like acoustic, like, Ray LaMontagne style music. And I was like, this this would be cool to just like try to do and like have it be totally separate from the fold and totally separate from like me and just have it try to have it stand on its own. Like it's just this guy who tried to make an album. So I got real into it. And I think a lot of, a lot of those songs I still think are probably like the best songwriting I've done. Wow. So yeah, I, I like to think of those as like songs that maybe someday will have a future life. But they're just right now, they're just kind of acoustic songs sitting on an album. You had the wig. So like if you needed the tour and the disguise. Yeah. What do you know now that you wish you would have known when you were 18? That people don't automatically dislike me. <laughs> I feel like it was always, it was always so, you know, you don't fit in or like these are the cool kids and, you know, whatever. That's kind of the way I felt in high school. I didn't feel like I really fit in. So I just try to make people laugh and hopefully, you know, I get some friends out of it. But I think now I just maybe be have a little bit more of a quiet confidence more so than rather trying to, you know, cause an uprising or make, you know, 
be like, oh, he's funny because that's not really worth much after the fact. <laughs> what would your 18-year-old self think of your current self? I'd think I was cool. I'd think I was, I'd done what I wanted to do and I'd be like, thank you for doing it because <laughs> I don't know how on earth it would happen. Like it's like even even in the day-to-day of you know, all these cool opportunities, it's always feels like it's not going to happen. You know, even now, even though, I mean, I'm less now because I do have like a foundation with my job, but without that, it's always just like, yeah, this is cool, but like, you know, what's next? And I feel like now I could take a little bit of a step back from that and say, it's okay if nothing's next, you know, but what, what can I try is kind of a little bit less anxiety than like, how do I get this all at once? You know, mm-hmm. is there anything on your bucket list that you haven't crossed off yet? Something that you hope to do? Maybe some kind of like big recognition for a song someday, like a Grammy would be huge. I mean, like I'm not necessarily close to that, but it, you know, it's anything's possible. So with the new fold album, that's kind of like my my goal is just let's just do the best we can and see what happens. But like if we were to get nominated for a Grammy, that would be, I'd be good for the rest of my life for sure. Ninjago's got to win something. It should. I know that's kids choice award or something or like Nick Nickelodeon something. I hope so. That's a good call. No, it did win something. It did win something, but nothing like, but nothing, nothing like where you Grammy. walked on a stage. No, that's what we need. Yeah. We, they did the Ninjago movie in 2018 or 19 I think it was 18 and it was it was really cool we got to walk the red carpet and roll the green carpet because of the Ninjago theme but <laughs> that was a highlight too I should have mentioned that's awesome yeah like the people in the movie weren't the actors from the show so it was like Jackie Chan was Sensei Wu and like all these crazy actors were in the movie so that was kind of weird because it was like we were invited but we weren't really a big part of it other than our song was in there for like 10 seconds. It counts. But that was sort of like, the that was the biggest event I've been to. That's so, awesome. Yeah. If I could replicate that in any way, I'll do that. Is there something in your life you're actively trying to improve on right now? I'd say back in 2010, when I kind of started this little path that I've been on, I really got into that whole secret thing. And ever since then, I'd like totally read up on like every different type of like you know, metaphysical theory you could imagine. But the one thing that's always true is that thinking about what you don't want is going to be bad. So I, I try to make a conscious effort not to use any negation in my thought processes or my goals or, you know, it's impossible to do it 24 hours a day. But if there's a way to retrain your brain to think in a positive way about something you initially thought of as what negatively, it helps big time. So for me, it was like, I don't want to like be a failed musician turned into, I want to be a successful musician. Like that's it. Like that type of thought shift was so major for me that it, you know, I, I do attribute a lot of what I've been able to do based on that. Because it's like, if you don't know what you're trying to do, you don't even know where you're aiming. So that's been a breakthrough for me. You are a distinguished alum. So, and it's kind of funny, like, you know, I think you're not the only one who didn't always enjoy being at high school and maybe, you know, after your end of your freshman year, thinking that you would be a distinguished alum someday probably wasn't entering in your mind. So walk no. us, tell us a story, walk us through that. Like 
How did they reach out? What was it like? What were you distinguished for? Tell us more about that. What a tangled web. Yeah, like after high school, like I said, I barely made it out. And it was about 2011 when we filmed this video called Never Ender for The Fold. And we were trying to think of where we were going to film it, like listen to the song over and over again. Where does this song take place? And we figured a high school. And then we reached out to like all these different like middle schools and high schools. I got in touch with Dan Kraus, who's the principal now. And he was like, yeah, that's awesome. Come film. Come film here. And we were like, really? And he was like totally I argued on board with the it. deans. Didn't they tell you? <laughs> yeah. It was like the exact opposite experience I had in school. It was this guy who's just like high-fiving us on our way in. So he was going to wow. say no, but he this. couldn't find anywhere in the rules that said that you couldn't. <laughs> yeah. He the assignment notebook. <laughs> yeah. Nothing about music videos. So they let us use the school and they let us like bring in extras and everything. So that I think that played a big part in like the relationship kind of began there. And then afterward, he was just always so supportive of anything The Fold did. And he'd, he let us go in and film a little documentary type video in there. And then, yeah, when it came time to the distinguished alumni thing, I was totally shocked because I was like, yeah, I've done stuff since school, but like I wasn't great in school, you know? Mm-hmm. And also like Mr. Doyle, who was, a, one of, who was my favorite guidance, guidance counselor by far. He passed away that year. So he was inducted. And there was other people there who had like worked 30 years and stuff. So I felt very like humbled to be asked to be there. And then my brother and, and Matt Pittman as well. So we all got it at once for being in the band, which felt a little bit shocking. But Willowbrook did help shape what I became. So I'm proud to, yeah, I'm proud to have gone there. So do they, do you, is your picture up somewhere? It is. I, I haven't seen it, but it does hang in the, in that area where it's like, outside the auditorium. Really? Oh, nice. No, but it, honestly, it's it's very cool. And I feel like I have to live my whole life trying to live up to it. Yeah. I mean, I think they wouldn't have given it to you if you didn't already earn it. So you don't have to prove anything. I hope so. You did it. This has been great, George. Do you have a favorite piece of music or song that you've written? I'm really proud of the single that just came out. It's called World Gone Mad by The Fold. It's about basically about 2020 and everything we've been through and kind of reminding yourself just to take a breath and it'll be okay kind of is the message our intro music right there or i say throw it on at the end if we get the the rights to it oh yeah you got it all right sweet breathe in and breathe out and then you'll begin to feel a little Dissonance And if your thoughts begin to stray Just relax And come focused on your next breath In a world gone mad You are my anchor In a world gone mad You bring me back to They come and they go Others just won't sit there Maybe I know Whatever the thought I just let it flow in Through the mouth And out through the nose Outside everyone is a mess Chasing the sun Cause they're feeling depressed I don't need that I'll be human again Till I can't go inside When I will when I'm mad Times of reverie I pray Times of reverie